Well, welcome to each of you. It is good for us to be together, and uh, I hope the couple visiting is not running away with that baby. Please, please grace us with the sound of a baby in our service. Do, do, not, do not feel like that's an interruption at all. Welcome to all of you. It's good to see some of you we haven't seen for a bit, and um, I do want to continue this series on pastoral ministry. As all of you are aware, we are at a transition point for our congregation with Fred and Tim's terms as elders um, ending the end of October. And so, you know, for the last month, we've done evaluations with you members. Um, our overseer, Rick Goldman, is leading us in this process and Hopefully, next Sunday, when he comes and ministers, when he talks about transition of leadership, which is a passion of his, uh, we're anticipating a proposal to be presented to the congregation. Um, so we're looking forward to, to next Sunday. I have chosen this series of messages intentionally because I think it's important for us as a church, as a congregation, to be well-grounded in what the biblical model is for church leadership. You know, a church is an organization, but it's not like a Ruritan club. <laughs> it's not like uh, uh, some other organization where people run for office and, 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 you know, people are selected in that way. So it's important for us to examine the biblical model to once again bring our ideas in line with what the Scripture says. We all can have our plans and our ideas, what we like, what we think should be, but it, those must always submit to what the biblical plan is. And so I've wanted us to be able to do that, not only as a congregation, but also for those of us who are called to serve, to once again understand what does it mean to serve the shepherd, Jesus Christ, as head of the church, as under-shepherds. So, you remember three weeks ago, the first message, we talked about the heart of pastoral ministry. And that very clearly, from Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, is the preaching of the Word. And there is nothing that is more important than preaching of truth. Not psychology, not self-help, not a minister's pet peeves or things, social issues, but the truth of God's Word, that cannot be overstressed in a congregation. It must drive everything. So we looked at the heart of pastoral ministry. The next Sunday we looked at the spirit of pastoral ministry. Servant leadership. Our human nature thrives on power and authority and self-serving. And that is not the way it is to be in the family of God. Remember, I've caught, called all of us, all of us are called to serve. All of us are given gifts that are not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the body. And we are called to serve. Some of those servants are called to lead. So I repeat again a statement I made that I hope you always remember. Servant leadership is not a type of leadership. Leadership is a type of servanthood. And there's a difference. If we have to say to our leaders, you need to be servants, 
they're probably not the individuals that ought to be leading us. So all of us are called to serve the church. Some of us are called to be leaders in the church. Others are called to other way, other giftings. And as Paul said, we run into difficulty when we try to elevate one gift above another. In fact, Paul says that we should give more glory to those things that are less appreciated, like we do with our bodies. Well, last Sunday we talked about the scope of pastoral ministry, and that's shepherding. What does it mean to be a shepherd? And I said that shepherds stink. Shepherds should smell like their sheep. And if you have had experience as a shepherd or working with sheep or as a cattleman with cattle or, or whatever, if you really care for those that are in your charge, you will at times smell like them. And that because you are called to walk with them in their difficulties, in their trials, in their messes sometimes. And let me say, no flock of sheep smells that great. Okay? Every congregation, we're made up of people. We have needs. Our bodies break down. We have relationship issues. We all fail. And those that we call to serve us must be willing to get in the trenches. Must be willing to serve not when it's convenient, but when it's inconvenient. Not when it's pleasant, but even in times when it's unpleasant. And so those are the type of leaders we must be looking to call. That is what the biblical model is. Not a hireling who is only out for his benefit, who is always ready to just unhook the trailer and run when things get tough, who is afraid of conflict, who just wants to stand up front and present a prepared message and then drive off into the sunset until next Sunday. That is not the biblical role of pastoral ministry. Well, this morning, there's another aspect that I think so many times is forgotten at great cost to churches. I want to talk this morning about the accountability of pastoral ministry. And that is watching out for leaders. Open your Bible this morning to the book of Jude. It's been a while when we as a congregation I, that I know of that on a Sunday morning we've looked at the book of Jude. We have done it before. I want to read this entire book. <laughs> it's one chapter, don't, don't panic. <clears throat> and I want you to notice that Jude, this brother of Christ, starts off <laughs> with, with, he reveals in the first couple verses what he wants to talk about, but then he is so overwhelmed and impressed to talk about accountability and to, to, to the importance of these new churches guarding against leaders who go rogue, that, that he, he spends the rest of his letter on the second topic. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, 
That's what his original intent was. It was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, that speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in these, those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, 
both now and forever. Amen. During the past five years, there has been moral failure and dismissal of pastoral leaders in some of the largest megachurches in our country. Our adversary Satan, the destroyer of all that is right and good, has dealt a serious blow to the church of Jesus Christ. Smaller sized congregations have not been immune from Satan's attack either. No denomination has escaped this recent identification of defective pastoral leaders. And I, I say that this morning with great solemnity and grief. We witness pastoral leaders that are found guilty of a wide range of moral failure that were facilitated often by abuse of power and authority. And these have ranged from child sexual molestation, inappropriately close relationships with female members of their congregation, financial fraud, and other indiscretions, almost always resulting from abuse of power and authority. We like to think that, like other sins that have been evident in the church, leadership from the days of the apostles to our time, that, well, that could never happen in our congregation. That's part of the problem. Congregations become so numb to the danger of pollution of leaders that many times we fail to recognize signs and evidence until significant damage is done. So, the question I have for us this morning is how do you and I, who are part of this congregation or any other congregation, how do we recognize a flawed leader sooner rather than later? How do we sniff out early on that this charismatic preacher or this individual with such a warm personality, this big-hearted pastor, how do we sniff out early that perhaps he is a danger to us in our congregation? You know, it's always easy to look back over the ministry of a leader whose moral failures have been revealed. It's always easy to look back in retrospect and identify, yeah, I, I saw something. I saw a problem back there. There was evidence, but it's much harder to see that early on. And I admit, and I believe many of you admit also, that I used to think situations like that were an aberration. That rarely happens. That's like a rogue leader that, that, that's not the rule. Well, let me tell you, it's becoming too often to be viewed as an aberration. Now I see that occurring as a chronic situation. Leaders like these were in the early Christian church as well. They were in, are in churches today, and if our Lord delays His coming... That will occur a hundred years from now. 
So this morning, I want to lay out as clearly as I can what you and I should be watching for in any leader of this congregation or any other congregation that you may be a member of. And then secondly, I want to talk honestly and candidly this morning about what we should do when we see any of these early warning signs. Now, you probably haven't had a minister stand before you and talk about things that candidly. But I feel this is the appropriate time in the life of our congregation to do so. Do I have your attention this morning? If we are going to protect our church from leadership failure, we must have a church security system. Now, I'm not talking about protection from physical intrusion, but rather protection from unholy leaders. Well, who was the author of this book, this small letter, Jude? Jude was Jesus' youngest brother. Judas had, Jesus had four half-brothers. They all had the same mother, Mary. But unlike Jesus, these four half-brothers all had Joseph for their biological father. The oldest was James. You notice in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. This is the James who wrote the epistle of James. And the youngest of these half-brothers was Jude, who wrote this one. At one point, none of these four stepbrothers accepted Jesus Christ as the Christ. They all scorned and opposed him. But people change. And as Judas writes this epistle, notice he is happy to call himself a servant, a slave, as it were, of Jesus Christ. Jude begins his letter to a group of house churches, but appears to change his focus as he gets to verse 3. Jude says, I was eager to, to plan to write to you about this common salvation, the gospel message that, that we share in common, but I find it needful to write to you about something else. The defense of the faith that God has entrusted to his people. Notice verse 4, Jude says, I have to warn you. Because some ungodly people have wormed their way into churches. They say that God's marvelous grace allows His people to live immoral lives. And their condemnation was pronounced long ago. For they have denied the power of Jesus in defeating Satan in sin with His death on the cross. So we, we might ask the question, well, how do ungodly people worm their way into a congregation? I mean, obviously they don't arrive and say, I'm here to wreck you, your congregation. I'm guessing that they play on our good qualities. Perhaps they play on our hospitality. Every congregation wants to be a welcoming congregation, don't we? Shouldn't we be? Jesus taught that if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. So we tend to welcome each new professing person, sometimes as if they were Jesus. <laughs> They're new, and, and we welcome them, and we embrace them. And sometimes after they play on our hospitality, they play on our desire to grow spiritually. Let me share something the late A.W. Tozer wrote. 
Strange as it may seem, the danger today is greater for the fervent believer than for the lukewarm and the self-satisfied. The seeker after God's best things is eager to hear anyone who offers a way by which he can obtain them. He longs for some new experience, some elevated view of truth, some operation of the Spirit that will raise him above the dead level of religious mediocrity he sees all around him. And for this reason, he is ready to give a sympathetic ear to the new and the wonderful in religion, especially if it is presented by someone with an attractive personality and a reputation for superior godliness. You see, it can be easy for us, unknowingly, to start out with, welcome, so glad you're here, and then move on to, that really sounds interesting, tell me more. With the wrong leader, it could be easy to succumb to a new false revelation. Oh, really? Jude says, this is what they were saying. God's grace is so great that I don't have to exert the effort to live a holy life anymore? That's awesome news. God's grace covers everything. Jude says, no, no, no. Jesus never lived like that. Jesus never taught that. And so in the rest of this letter to believers, Jude gives clear warning signs that you and I can use today to recognize a leader who is dangerous to the church. Now, as I read this, I, I probably could have listed 20 that he mentioned. He's like he gets on a, he gets on a roll. But I want to highlight, pick out five specific danger areas or warning signs. The first of those is the sign of a leader being immoral. The dangerous leader who makes excuses for himself. You see, he is the exception because, well, he carries so much responsibility. And he is so gifted, and, or God is using him, and somehow he lives at a higher level. He doesn't have to live a fully moral life. Notice verses 4 through 13, and I won't go back and read them, but listen to Jude's phrases. They say that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. They, they do whatever their instincts tell them. They even do shameful deeds. He says all the ungodly things they have done. They, they live to satisfy their own ungodly desires. They follow their natural instincts. Now God's grace really is amazing. But real grace, real grace in the life of a believer leads him to a moral life, not an immoral life. To a sacrificing life, not a self-serving life. So warning sign number one, when we pick up in a leader a carelessness about holiness. 
that's an open door to immorality. When we sense in a leader that they push, they push the edge, they push the limit, they, they joke about things that shouldn't be joked about. That can lead to immorality. A second warning sign is rebelliousness. When a leader has a rebellious streak, when a leader defies authority, accountability, whether he's a grumbler or a complainer, or, or he claims authority from some dream or special revelation that he has had. That actually often happens. A leader assumes that I deserve a lot of power. I deserve a lot of authority because of my spiritual gifts of preaching or leadership or, or my words of knowledge, my training, my expertise, my experience. Or because of the special spiritual experiences that I have had. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a vision he once had. He rarely mentions it in his ministry. He really doesn't talk much about it. He only mentioned it when he faced rebellion against his leadership. Paul said, I've had a vision too. But that's not what my authority is based on. You can always tell the legitimacy of Paul's leadership by the, the insults, the hardship, the persecution, the troubles he suffered because of the cause of Christ. Listen, don't give any extra credit to a leader who writes a book about their spiritual visions. That has happened many times. You see, an unhealthy leader doesn't just accept authority of his office. An unhealthy leader desires it. He seeks it. And although he may paint himself as being under the authority of others, whether it's an overseer or a board of deacons or elders or under the authority, he, he bristles when he's challenged or is called to account for his actions or decisions. When you see that in a leader, that's a spirit of rebellion. That's a danger point. No matter what position a leader has in the congregation, he is under someone's authority. And he has responsibility to respond appropriately. So whenever you see board members, whenever you see committee members or members of a pastoral ministry team resign in frustration, you almost always find a leader who is headstrong and rebellious. A third warning sign arrogance. Notice verse 10. These leaders scoff at things they don't understand. They scoff at other viewpoints. They slander. They ridicule others that they consider to be below them. Don't ever trust a person who is a scoffer, who somehow thinks he's above it all. Example, when you, you hear a leader proclaiming that we don't have to fear Satan and the dominions of evil because we have authority to command every demon and cast him out. Be wary of that arrogance. Listen to the Apostle Paul's humble and God-centered approach to the threat of Satan and his dominion. 
Ephesians 6, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When you sniff an arrogant leader, watch out. A fourth warning sign is a leader who is divisive. Notice verse 11. A divisive leader creates a clear in-group and an out-group in a congregation. Where there should be brotherly love in a congregation, there are, there are people who are with the leader and there are people who are ignored and cast to the side. And such a divisive leader follows in the footstep of Cain, who killed his brother. Now, a leader who's divisive may not physically, hopefully, kill someone. But what happens is they assault the character of everyone who questions them. And they protect their position of authority and leadership. If you question an arrogant leader, he will attack you, your character. And the fourth warning sign is somehow they get focused on personal benefit. In particular, often, especially in larger ministries, on money. You know, there's the old adage, follow the money. Too often. That occurs. A dangerous leader will have, he'll have special expenses that, that are justified because of his amazing ministry. You know, he, he has unexplained travel and retreats he needs to go on. He has other unexplained needs because of this amazing ministry that he has. And he will have or he'll seek to have access to funds that he's not accountable to anybody for that he can spend at his discretion on himself. The Apostle Paul so strongly said to the churches he pastored, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. I have not been a financial burden to you, and I never will be. So why is Jude so strongly calling the church to defend against leadership like this? Because... If leadership like this is left unchecked, immoral, rebellious, arrogant, divisive, greedy, those leaders will lead their congregation away from the gospel message and away from Christ. They will divide a church. They will disgrace the witness of the church in the world. But let's be honest this morning. To defend the faith against unscrupulous leadership is a hard and difficult task. It's a thankless job. In a congregation with bad leadership, when you name the problem, you become the problem. Every whistleblower I know has paid a price for doing the right thing. There are those today who have given in to the temptation to, because of past experience with the church, to just give up on the church 
and walk away from the church. But we must never, never, as followers of Christ, reject the biblical model that God has chosen for the family of God, the local church. We must not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Rather, Jude appeals to us to refuse to leave the church unprotected against leadership that goes astray. Notice verse 20. We're to build up. We're to pray. We're to keep the faith. So, how do we make the commitment to defend our congregation against leadership that can lead us astray? As your pastor this morning, may I suggest this directive. I saw Thursday morning when I was waiting in that waiting room to get to see Tremaine. There was a sign on the wall that said this. If you see something, say something. If you notice in one of your leaders evidence of immorality or carelessness about morality, carelessness about holy living, if you see that in one of your leaders, say something. If you sense a rebellious spirit, a defiance of authority, a disregard for our church's covenant, excusing or making exceptions for themselves, say something. If you see evidence of arrogance, scoffing and belittling others or other points of view or the portrayance of being spiritually superior to others. Say something. If you see evidence of them being divisive, creating an in-group and an out-group, excluding others, especially assaulting the character of anyone who would dare question them. Say something. If you see evidence in them of being in their position of leadership for personal gain, personal advantage or benefit, say something. Speak up. And you say, well, to who? See, our problem many times is if we do speak up, <laughs> we just gossip to someone else. That doesn't help at all. So in our congregation, if the issue that you notice concerns a lay leader, have a conversation with me. If the issue concerns me, have a conversation with our overseer, Rick Goldman. Now here at Faith, we have been blessed. We have not suffered leaders with moral failure, scandal, or division and fallout from the failure of leadership. But we are not above the threat and attack of Satan for that to happen. Let's not hide our heads in the sand. You see, rarely is the spiritual failure of leadership of a congregation the result of a blowout. An unexpected, undetected event. 
rather, almost inevitably, it's the result of a slow leak. A series or sequence of events, attitudes, and lifestyle that ultimately result in catastrophe. Men who are called to serve the congregation as pastoral leaders are called to assume great responsibility. And the congregation that calls them has great responsibility to encourage them, to honor them, to support them, to submit to their leadership. And that congregation is called by God to hold them accountable, realizing that they too are fallible. And they need to walk worthy of their calling in Christ Jesus. Well, let me finish this morning with Jude's encouragement. After warning about the dangers of bad leadership, Jude encourages all of us to lift our eyes. Notice verse 24 and 25, and I want to close with this benediction. Jude says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever.